listeners, this is Marsha Epstein in Lawrence, Kansas on a beautiful winter day that almost looks like spring. I sit here with my computer stuff to do recording with this lovely little basket of poems for all in front of me, a pile of books on my right. It's kind of a fun thing because I, I spend a, a lot of time with books and with people who write books, different kinds of books. And then I have other kinds of books that are for my work and social work. And those are good books too. And sometimes they overlap. Like I'm a big believer that that writing, not necessarily creative writing, but just writing period can be one of those tools that we use to stop the stuff from spinning around inside of us. Sometimes we need to get it out in the open. And sometimes writing can be a great start. So so like amongst my books sitting around, this lovely little book, Acts for a Frozen Sea, that's actually writing exercises that I can recommend for people who consider themselves writers, but also for people who are just trying to figure out how to through something. That lovely little book is from Rob Plath in New York who is connected to the person who recommended the person that I'm talking with today. It's always that, that how many degrees of separation thing. Um, I want to thank John Yamras for recommending that I do a show with my guest today, who is Heather Christie. And just that little explanation means I get to say, hey, Heather, how are you? Hi, I'm great. I'm good. Thank you. I'm so excited to uh, talk with you today. Yeah, there have been a few little hurdles along the way, so I'm glad that we're finally getting to do this. <laughs> yes, it sounds yes. good. Yes, you're in snowy Pilvena. I'm in sunny Kansas. You you met John Yamras, and now we're doing a podcast. Tell us a little bit about you. So I am. Uh, I just launched my first book. Came out last week on uh, the 25th. It's called What the Valley Knows, and um, it's a young adult women's fiction crossover. Sort of straddles two genres, and uh, that was a really exciting day for me in the end. Not the end, the end and the beginning of a of a really long journey to publication. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Um, so that's that's a little bit about my book, and I also blog. I do a blog the first Sunday of every month, and uh, that encapsulates my creative life. And then my, my what I call my real job, I'm a real estate agent, and uh, you know, for the last 20 years, I've helped people buy and sell houses. Uh-huh. I've got two kids, two teenagers, 15 and 17, and I've been married for uh, 27 years. <laughs> so that's a little bit about me. That's cool. How about pets in the household? Any, any, we, yes, I have two. I call them my editors. I have two oh, cats. Uh-huh. Yeah. And, um, yeah. So people who follow me on Instagram, I, I'm always posting about my editors and my cats are in the pictures, <laughs> but yeah, we've got, we've got two cats. All right. So they sometimes want to help you on the keyboard. <laughs> yeah. Yes. I think they like the warmth of the computer and the, the desk light and all that. That's great. So, so you're you're a real estate agent and a writer, and I have to say that okay. So I I live in an historic home, a Victorian home from the 1880s, and and I love thinking about how things happen in our old buildings. I don't know if you ever are involved with the sale of of, of older buildings, houses, or commercial or whatever. But but what I want to ask you is, so does your real estate experience? the stories of buildings that you've been in come into play in your writing? Well, that's an interesting question. I can't say it really comes into my fiction, although I do have in this book, What the Valley Knows, of course, one of the parents uh, is a realtor. <laughs> but ah. um, I do, in my nonfiction work, like the blogging, I've done some writing about real estate. Uh, stories uh-huh. of like, you know, what it's like for a home to pass from one family to another. Because oftentimes I see yes. people at their best and at their yes. worst. Like either yes. a relationship is starting, uh, a family member is being added, or the, this is the end of a family and this is the last thing they're holding on to is their home. Yeah. Or someone's yeah. died. Um, yeah. So I do, I have done a little writing around that subject. Um 
which has actually been some of my most popular writing. It's been syndicated on a, a site. It's called The Lighter Side of Real Estate. Oh. And I, I think the one the one piece I wrote had maybe 8,000 shares. Like, it just hit. That's amazing. The real estate people, you know, like, they get it. Like, yeah, like, yeah. We And, and, we, and I always say money brings out the worst and the best. <laughs> like you, you really see their true character in how they conduct themselves in a real estate transaction. You know, it can make people crazy. Uh, and then oftentimes, you know, they're handed like incredible circumstances where we can't get in the house or something's happened and they mm. handle themselves with such grace. So yes. yeah, it's a real, it's a way to really study the human condition. Yeah. Um, so I can't say it's like directly like, Oh yeah, I write about this or that in uh-huh. my fiction, but it's influenced. Yeah. Certainly. Yeah. Yeah. Cause some of your experiences with people are obviously around those those showing of buildings and sales and that kind of stuff. I have a dear friend who actually, one of his careers was real estate and then he became a clinical social worker. Okay. <laughs> He'd been a garbage man before that. Lots of, lots of careers that he's had, but I thought, you know, and, and I, and I asked that in part about the real estate connection because one of a, a little book series that that my husband had found for me, and each Christmas I, I get one of these kinds of books. It's it's a mystery series that's always set in a um, that relates to some Victorian building being uh, restored. So it's so it's this combination of I get these little tidbits about what the what the building is like, and then this little whatever murder mystery or whatever, and it's kind of fun. But I, I get what you're saying about you know the the way people um, that that you're with people at at hard times and good times. But there is some some big transition that's typically going to happen related to real estate. And so even though that's not specifically you know related to the book that you're that you're doing and the series that you're doing, I, I'm really interested in in that. Okay, you're a person who has chosen that career in essence, two careers that look pretty different, but they're both for you. You know, they both represent parts of you. What is, what is the writer part of you? Like, like what, what got you to recognize that part of you? So, and that's a great question. Um, I started out when I was a teenager, I had this very creative side of myself and I wanted to be an actress and living in Pennsylvania, we're not too far outside of New York City. So I ended up getting what was called like a work study at the time where I would go to school half the day in Pennsylvania and then I would hop on a bus to New York City for the afternoon and I would either have go see audition or a job or booking and then I would come home the next night and then do it again the following day. Uh-huh. So I had this kind of artistic, creative side of myself. And um, I moved to New York City and went to college for my first two years at Fordham University. And then I, it's like I got hit by a Mack truck and I fell in love. And my husband <laughs> was a professional soccer player, of all things. And uh-huh. he was playing in Dallas, Texas. So at 19, I married and moved to Texas. And I my, actually, my undergraduate degree is from the University of Texas in Dallas, uh, and I got it in literary studies. Like, I always loved books, but then I completely fell away from any creative part of myself. You know, it was just like we were so young, and we had to make money and survive, and I I did a couple other things. I was a flight attendant and worked for a cosmetics company, and eventually I found real estate. And the thing I really liked about real estate is I've always loved houses. Like, I do love houses. It gets exciting, like, going in to see a new house. (laughs) And I liked, too, that it did allow me to be really effective with my time Uh and make a decent living. Uh So I did that for many, many, many years. And about eight years ago, I had a friend who self-published a book. And we were just hanging out one day, and she was getting ready to do a presentation at a school. And we were kind of just brainstorming. And I was like, wow, like, this really gets my juices flowing. Like, this, you know, like, talking about it and creating the presentation. I'm like, you know what? I can write a book. (laughs) Well, it's not quite as easy as as saying I'll write a book. Um, So I, I started playing around with, like, I've always sort of written really bad poetry. And I, um... 
I had like a children's book in my head. So I wrote this children's book and I tried to submit it on my own, which it got flatly rejected everywhere. Uh-huh. And, um, and then I, the scene came to me, which is, if you do want me to read something, this is probably what I'll read to you, which is what we became the, the prologue of my book. Um, but the scene stuck in my head and I'm like, wow, this is a story I think I can tell. And I started writing that story. But again, like anybody who's an artist, like you, you begin to understand it's really a craft and something you have to work on and perfect and try to yeah. make better. And I was like, wow, I, I, I'm just not doing this very well. And I started looking at low residency programs, um, uh-huh. MFA programs. And, and, and so that's what I did. I, I went to Pine Manor College in Boston. They have a program. It's called Solstice. And I, I got my MFA there and came up with the first draft of this book when I was there. So I'm taking a really long time to answer the question that I almost can't remember what, what, what you asked me, (laughs) but I think it was something about how I married, like being a real estate agent with uh, writing. Is that correct? Well, kind of, um, really what I, what I'm interested in is, is what, what draws you to writing, you know, because uh, you know, on the surface, that looks very different from the other kinds of work experiences you've had. You know, and uh, being a being somebody who loved to read, obviously, that's that's uh, that's something that is a, is a good start for being somebody who wants to write. Um, well, so okay, so that to to answer your question, <laughs> eight years ago, I had gotten really disgusted with the real estate business. You know, I. I it was just not who I wanted to be. Uh-huh. It was so geared towards, you know, your next deal and making money. And I'm like, you know, I had lost this part of myself. That's why I started telling you that whole story about New York and being an actress and all that. Mm-hmm. And then that catalyst of being with my friends sort of got the juices rolling with the whole writing thing. And I really started focusing on writing. But the, the funny thing is I've sort of made a, a, a 180 or a 360 in that I was very resentful of my real estate for a while, like that it was demanding my time and I didn't really like what I was doing because I wanted to be this artist. And But I've come around on that in the last two years especially, and I'm very grateful for my real estate business because it's allowed me to make money and at the same time control my schedule uh-huh. so that I can... You know, like if I were in a normal, like normal, you know, working eight to six every day, there would be very little time for writing. But I've come to appreciate the real estate and they are two very different things. Like it's like a paradox, like, oh, you're a writer and you're a real estate agent. Uh-huh. Um, but I appreciate that real estate gives me the time to work on my art. Uh-huh. So that's sort of how the two work together in my life yeah and and you said something i I left when you said it that that you you wrote bad poetry you know and and that that that's what a lot of people it seems like will say is that their their first writing was bad poetry (laughs) and so you you moved into writing fiction um and you of course you also blog but so tell us a little bit about how you you went from you know kind of this as an idea to actually creating this book that people can now read well like i said i had this one scene in my head uh-huh. and um so from that point i started writing forward in time like what happened to the characters from that moment forward and i was able to complete a draft and thought like, okay, this is great. And, you know, I have a whole story about how I got an agent and eventually a publisher, but it was very long. Uh And, but part of the feedback I got on those initial first rounds of submissions was that, well, we don't really know these characters. You need to create a life before the accident, this this scene. Mm -hmm. So that's sort of how the book, you know, started as like a little seed and then, began to grow into something more. Mm-hmm. And yeah, so, so that's, that's really how it happened. You know, it just started with this one idea and I started building their lives forward. And then in, you know, third revision started building their, 
their lives backward. Okay. And you mentioned that you could share some of that prologue with us. Can, I would love to hear that. So we get sure. more yeah. specific idea it's, about what this is. Yeah. So it's, um, it's very short. It's just one page that opens the book. And let me just turn to it. Okay. Molly Hanover lifted her chin. The pain was so sharp, her head slammed down onto the muddy gravel. Her teeth gashed her tongue, and the copper taste of blood filled her mouth. She closed her eyes, and the thump of her heartbeat pounded in her ears. This wasn't happening. She had to get up and find him. She needed to tell him something, something important. And her mother, she had decided she would tell her mother, too. They would help her. At the edge of the field where she had fallen, a few unharvested corn stalks jutted skyward. Late autumn grass sprouted in the weedy undergrowth. She lay splayed face down, her arm twisted behind her back, raw pain searing through her right shoulder. Where was he? Again, she tried to raise her head, and tiny spurts of light exploded against the darkness. Chilly rain stung her cheek and blurred her vision. Her hair, matted with bits of glass, dirt, and blood, stuck to her neck. Help, she whispered. It was hard to concentrate, but she listened carefully and heard the soft ping of rain hitting her nylon jacket. Stay awake, she warned herself. Don't sleep. She rolled and saw the wet road sparkle in the vehicle's headlights. Maybe it was a bad dream, but the pain, the pain was real. Hot blood burned through the cut in her cheek. Her mind raced. The sharp edge of panic pierced her memory. There was a secret, a thing unspeakable, but it was gone. Whatever she had wanted to tell them had vanished, and then the world went black. So that's wow. the prologue. <laughs> so that kind of sounds like a nightmare. <laughs> yeah, well, it's that's the scene that had that came to me was that there was this girl who had just uh-huh. been in a car accident uh-huh. who was lying on the side of the road, losing consciousness and uh-huh. terrified of losing consciousness because she had a secret that uh-huh. she wanted to tell her boyfriend and her, and she had decided she would tell her mother too. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that's the prologue. And then it opens uh, four months earlier. So, but I, I meant when I said it sounds like a nightmare, I meant that really literally. So, you, <laughs> you have any idea how that came to you? No, it's funny. For some reason, there was just the, the story of this girl. And when I started, when I wrote that scene, I didn't even know what the secret was yet. I just uh-huh. knew she had the secret and this terrified feeling that she was losing the ability to remember what the secret was. Uh-huh. And she had decided she was going to tell someone. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, it sort of just came to me in a flash. And, like, part of that is the landscape. Like, Pennsylvania, I live very much in a area that's filled with um, curvy roads and cornfields. And, you know, I sort of had this, this scene, like a dark, rainy night in my head. So you, you see those kinds of nights. Mm-hmm. So, so there's, there's some kind of literal memory of that, but somehow on some random day, <laughs> you, you visualize that this, you, you imagine this story and it's really compelling. It's really interesting. You know, I'm not trying to like analyze it too much, but I wondered, I wondered what you thought, like, had you ever had something like that happen where you, you had that, that, um, you know, bit of a story that popped to your mind. It's like, hmm, that's interesting. You know, or is this like, wow, where'd that come from? <laughs> well, I think part of it, like the main character, Molly, like in trying to create compelling fiction, I was 
thinking about, okay, so like what's the worst thing that could happen to a teenage girl? Uh Um, And part of that involves her sexuality, which is part of the the secret. But Uh also for for young girls, especially, and I have a teenager myself, like self-image is so much a part of how they navigate the world. Like, especially now with all the uh, photocentric type of social media that they're involved in. Mm-hmm. So the idea that she would have a scar on her face um, and then have yeah. to deal with the resulting feelings, issues, and, you know, how that affects her relationships, I thought would be, uh-huh. you know, fairly horrifying to a young uh-huh. 17-year-old. Uh-huh. Um, so maybe, you know, those were things I wanted to explore. Mm-hmm. So, so that the the young women issues, the young woman's issues that that might come up with both what the secret is and also the impact of the accident that there might be a mark on her face, which could be very right. Yeah. yeah. So, how long did it take you to get that finished version of the book ready? You know, you. I mean, I, I understand that. Like everybody, there were edits, you know, there were, there were rewrites. So what, what's the time frame from I have this idea and I start writing and then now it's finished? Yeah, from the idea of the scene of the girl on the side of the road to last Thursday uh-huh. was almost eight years okay. to, you know, go through revisions and then find an agent, find a publisher and go through more revisions yeah, so this is a pretty long, almost a decade project. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And and yeah. I think that's good for people to hear. It's not like, I got this idea, and then a month later I had this book, and now you can buy it. <laughs> it's not quite that easy. <laughs> yeah, no, it's not. It's, you know, uh-huh. it, it is, it's really not. I mean, maybe it uh-huh. happens for some people that way, uh-huh. um, but certainly not for me and and not for most of the people I talk to who are, you know, also trying to publish and and get their books out there. Uh-huh. And for most people, it's it's a long process. Yeah, and, and I've actually picked up from people who I talk with who are writers um, that it's especially difficult getting works of fiction, for example, published. Um, self-publishing is one thing, but but in terms of finding a publisher who wants to uh, publish something that it seems like a, a, there's a lot of wonderful writing and not all those wonderful writers are ever going to have their books published by somebody. So there's, there is talent and serendipity, I imagine, uh, that both lead to something actually getting published. And yeah, I would, right now, go, go ahead. ahead. I'm sorry. Why no, is I would ask hold- a, <laughs> 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 I, I would just say I wholeheartedly agree with that statement. That um, uh-huh. you know, a lot of it at the end of the day, I think, comes down to like how how much do you want it, and in turn, at what point do you say I'm not going to give up? Because like, for example, with my novel on the first round of submissions uh, with my agent that went to like all the big publishing houses, they were all passes. Like we, and at that point it could have just gone in a drawer in a drawer, uh-huh. but I wasn't willing to give up yet. I'm like, no, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to, but I think for a lot of people, like at that moment, they were like discouraged and, okay, this isn't going to happen. So we ended up doing like another major round of submissions. And the whole process from the time the book went on submission till the time it got a publishing contract was 520 days. Um, which, yeah, so just to drive home that point that it, it's a long process. And I think a lot of it is how, how hard are you willing to work and not give up? And then, of course, maybe a little bit of luck has to, to fall your way. Mm-hmm. And and that's not to say it's nobody gets published just by luck. I guess uh, you know. No, 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 yeah. no. <laughs> but I will no. say that a woman who who lives in Lawrence, Kansas, where I live, Ren Greenwood, um, one of the like in terms of serendipity for her was actually that 
um, something that she tweeted got noticed by a certain publisher. And that started a connection that resulted in, I'm not sure if it was her third or fourth novel actually being published by a very major um, publishing house. And, you know, so, so things do happen, you know, that certainly persistence is, is essential in there as well as talent, you know, that, that you have to be writing something good. And, and you mentioned, um, and I apologize to our listeners because I, we, we've had some conversations off air and on air. You mentioned that you're working on a second book. So yeah. do, you, do you see this as a series of a certain length or, you know, what, what are you thinking about with what happens next after this particular book? So I see this series, This I call it the Millington Valley series because the okay. fictional town is called Millington Valley, which is sort of a composite of the town I grew up in, as well as a couple of the surrounding communities. And so I see the Millington Valley series as a series of three. Okay. And um, and then I actually see, and we'll we'll see how this goes. In each of the young adult books, there's a heroine. Then this one, it's Molly. And the second one, it's Emily. And then the third one is Hannah. And they all want to get out of this valley, and that's their ultimate goal, and they all do. But I see if if, if these three books are able to make it into publication, I see a fourth book that would be straight adult fiction. Um, where these three characters have grown up and they're now women and they all return to the valley, to Millington Valley, and they are connected to this one little girl in different ways who goes missing. So Uh it's, my hope is that it's a series of three that then gives birth to a standalone adult novel. Cool. So we'll see, you know. Yeah, yeah. And you you chose three. You said it's going to be a series of three, and you identified by name at least. You know the the main character for each of those three books in the Millington Valley series. So, how what what told you that three is the right number? And I could be persuaded otherwise. Um, <laughs> right now, I just have three stories I want to tell. You know, and maybe that grows and changes as as the series develops. Uh-huh. Um, but yeah, for some reason, I just like the, I like three, like mm-hmm. even visually, I like three, like I like groupings of three. Mm-hmm. Um, so for me, it's three, but like I said, that I could be convinced otherwise if mm-hmm. it were to do well. And some of the other characters, you know, maybe if uh, some of the other characters had a story they wanted to tell, I could, I, I would, I wouldn't be opposed if it turned into more. Mm-hmm. Do you have some some thoughts right now about the difference between writing young adult and adult fiction? I do, and that's been a challenge for me because mm-hmm. I my MFA is in fiction, like straight fiction, not young adult fiction. Mm-hmm. And actually, this book, in its first um, incarnation, it's told from three points of view right now, two teenagers and one of the teenagers' mothers. Um, but originally it had six points of view and it was very much adult fiction. Uh-huh. And as it went through revisions and it, 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 the two voices that emerged the strongest were the two kids. Mm-hmm. So it kind of became young adult fiction by accident. And, um, and, and, and that's some of what the reviews have been coming back to is saying, well, it really sort of straddles the line between the yeah. two because I have this adult character who's also a narrator. Yeah. But I think for book two and three, I would make a more straight young adult fiction because I think that was one of the challenges of trying to sell it to a bigger house is they really, that was some of the feedback we got. They really want it to fit into a box okay. um, that they call a young adult or they call women's fiction or literary fiction. So I think going forward, I would, I would make it like straight young adult. And then, like I was saying, maybe possibly that would give birth to a straight adult fiction book. And I think it's a shame. And, but I think that's the beauty of the smaller presses and the independent presses is that they're willing to take a look at things that are not quite inside the box. Uh Um, And it's a little bit of a shame that maybe the larger houses, you know, because, and of course it's a business, they have to be concerned with how many books they're going to sell, but it's, it's not as likely that they would take something that it's a crosses genres like that. 
It's it's interesting to me uh, the level of you know what is young adult versus adult, in part because just yesterday I was having a conversation with somebody about book clubs as a way for people to um, build connections with you know other people as well as you know enjoying the exploration of whatever book. And she was she was saying that just in terms of what was going on at different points in her life that when she was uh, in that young adult uh, age, that she wasn't really reading that kind of stuff. She, she kind of made the leap. She was an excellent reader at a young age and she kind of skipped over what was really marketed for, for teens and adolescents and moved right into adult fiction. And so now, as somebody who's who's moved to a different community, a different state, you know, and she's looking at things that she's interested in and ways to meet people, that one of the things she looked at is, well, what kinds of book clubs does our Lawrence Public Library have? And one that they have is young adult fiction for adults, you know? And she's like, this is, I want to do this because I never read this stuff before. And I thought, well, that's really fun. You know, and then I look at it in a very different way, which is so many people who found comfort and safety and developed a sense of where they fit in the world, because when they were in middle school and high school, they read and they read and they read, you know, and and maybe they didn't find people around them that they connected to as closely um, in terms of having shared experiences um, but but they found that through books and that, you know, young adult literature is so important for so many people. And and I know when you were talking about uh, the book, you know, What the Valley Knows earlier, you, you indicated, you know, there are definitely themes in the book that are going to resonate with young females in, in maybe a different way than young males. That, you know, that some of the themes that you're writing about um, really have to do with, with things that might be particularly important in, in young women as they're growing up. And so to me, that's that the reminder that, that fiction can be so important to people. It's, it's not only about like learning facts through books. It's, it's sometimes reading stories that, that tell you that, okay, okay, this character got through this and, and I, and I, I can too. <laughs> sure. No, I totally agree with you. Yeah, some of our best friends as, as kids and teenagers were, were characters in books. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Um, and I think it's kind of a modern thing, though, that we classify fiction as young adult or adult fiction. Because mm-hmm. um, I know growing up, like Catcher in the Rye, like today that would have to be called adult, uh, young adult fiction, you know, because the protagonist is, 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 is a teenager. Um, and even to kill a mockingbird, like we would categorize that as young adult, but before it was just fiction, you know? So, mm-hmm. so part of that is not irritating, but sometimes I wish we didn't have to put it in a box and, and call it, well, this is young adult or this is adult. Yeah. I, I think a good story with a compelling cat protagonist is, it's just good fiction in, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. But the world we live in wants to, you know, put it in a box. So I guess that's fine, too. But that, there's that reminder that you don't get uh, denied access to this book. <laughs> Regardless of your age, however high the number is, you are welcome to read What the Valley Knows. <laughs> Absolutely. In fact, that's been, like, one of the things that's been so interesting is, like, with the early readers of this book, um, so many of them who really, really love it are like people in their 60s and 70s. And I'm like, so that really makes me feel good because I feel like, okay, yeah. well, then I'm telling a story that resonates, you know, despite somebody's age. Like, uh-huh. So that's been fun for me. And, and the other thing that's been fun for me, too, is part of the feedback on that first round of submissions was that, oh, well, we can't have this adult voice in a young adult book. That's just not going to sell. The mother's name is Anne. And um, my young adult readers, like the kids my daughter's age and my son's age, they actually love the mother's perspective. Like they love having that adult voice in there. So I guess it just goes to show like if you believe in your story, like you just have to get it out there despite uh-huh. what 
what the gatekeepers might be saying. Well, and, uh, you know, I, I have not yet read your book, so I, I can't speak to the storyline, but I think, well, when we are of those ages of, you know, middle school, high school and below, we do have adults who have influence in our lives. You know, we, they, we may not see them as perfect, but it would seem really odd to me to have young adult characters, have teen characters, without having some significant adult in there too. So that's, you know, interesting about the feedback. And, and cool that, that your younger readers are saying, yeah, we like this person. And, and right. I will say that resonates to me in a very deep personal way in terms of, you know, kids and, and mothers. You know, I think about in, in my own experience as a parent, um, we have two sons who are now post-college, but when they were middle school, high school age, we were one of those households that, that kids could come to. And they knew they could open the refrigerator, the cabinet, they could drink and eat, they could, you know, they could hang out, they could do whatever. And and so there were conversations in the kitchen in particular, sometimes with different kids, you know. And it was just part of the way it was around here, you know. And and sometimes, you know, I think when that was going on, I didn't really think so much about what that might mean to some kids. And and um I think about after my own mom died, um, one of my friends, the one of my friends from actually the longest time friend of, that I that I have, um, she said, you know, I don't know how I would have gotten through, you know, junior high and high school because we we met at junior high age without your mom. You know, your mom Aww. did all these things. You know, your mom was the one I could talk to. Your mom was the one, you know, who when I went off to college, you know loaded me up with sheets and towels and stuff that I needed because, you know, my parents were real like, you're on your own, kid, you know, kind of thing, you know, and, and so she had all these wonderful memories of my mom and, and how influential she was, you know, and it, and it really got me thinking of those things, you know, and that it's really, it's, it's really important. And so, so I love that that's, again, part of your story is you have that, that connection. Yeah. There's their parents there. You're, and then, yeah, cool. So, so you're going to have these kind of little bit mystery. I'm thinking related to the prologue and what the story is. Um, so people are hopefully kind of intrigued. I know, you know, we, you know, just hearing hearing that prologue, I was thinking about different possibilities for what her secret is, and um, you know, so what happens? <laughs> right, right. So I don't want to give prologue. any spoilers. I don't no. want to give any spoilers. Um, yeah, but that was my hope, was that it would be compelling enough that people would be like, oh, my gosh, I, I need to find out what happened to this girl and, you know, what is yeah. her secret? Yeah. Um, yeah, so it has, like, a thread of mystery and thriller, but it, it's also sort of a love story, too, because it's uh-huh. the, she has her first – It's Molly is the main um, teenage girl, and then Wade, who becomes her boyfriend – he he has a voice, and then, like I was saying earlier, Molly's mother Anne um, also narrates. So yeah, yeah. So this book is available now, and um, I'm always a big fan of saying when you can buy it from the publisher, because the closer you buy it from the source, the better that is. Um, and so your publisher for this book is Black Rose Writing. And in the Correct. announcement of the show, you know, we'll have the link there, you know, and, and if, you know, and, and I will say you can go to your local independent bookstore and ask them to order it for you, which Absolutely. is kind of a cool thing, because if I go to Raven Bookstore here in Lawrence, Kansas, which is this awesome independent bookstore, and I say, hey, you guys, I want you to order this book for me. Well, they're going to be looking at, oh, well, I haven't heard of this book. What is this book? You know? And so it, it creates some additional awareness and hopefully some additional copies get sold, you know, because other people get intrigued. So I'm, I'm a big fan of independent bookstores and readings. And that was something I was going to ask you earlier. So, so are you doing some, some um, book readings, some tours, some book signings, those kinds of things? 
Yeah, we're trying to do um, some unique things. We're going to have a book launch party slash signing at a local art center. It's called the Goggle Works. It was an old goggle factory that they turned into <laughs> like an artist in residence center. Uh-huh. Uh, so we're doing a book launch party there. And then I've set up a couple readings and workshops at local libraries. And I've had a couple unique um, opportunities that we are putting in place. A furniture store wants to do like a wine and cheese book signing. So I thought, well, that would be good and different, you know, what would grab a different audience. And then I had a a women's group that's um, primarily through their their church. They want to do a, like an event where they invite neighborhood churches, neighboring churches. And I would, you know, speak about the past of publication and then do maybe a quick talk about the book itself with a short reading. So yeah, we've got some like fun things on the horizon. And of course I'm working with the local school districts. So I've met with a couple of teachers already and one middle school class, they were eighth grade, which is a little bit young for this book, but they were the uh, the honors English class. I worked, I donated four advanced reader copies to their classroom, and they were a huge support in um, starting the Goodreads reviews and, you know, getting things rolling that way. Uh-huh. Cool. Yeah, so, so I'm trying to hit all angles. Uh-huh. And you're in what part of Pennsylvania? Uh, we're like southeastern Pennsylvania, but we're north and a little west of Philadelphia. Like we'd be about an hour outside of Philadelphia. Okay. So when people are hearing these and going, hmm, I wonder if I could get to some of these. Like you can if you're in southeast Pennsylvania. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You're definitely going to need to be in Pennsylvania. And, and maybe it goes on the road eventually. But for right uh-huh. now, we're we're pretty much stuck here in Pennsylvania. Mm-hmm. So you've got a lot going on with this book, which really, I I know I'm intrigued by. I hope that other listeners are too. What's your guess, having gone through the process of this first book from, you know, this prologue idea that comes to you to actually having a book available, what's your guess as to how long it'll take for the second one? So I think the second one's going to go a lot faster, and it, it is already. I have um, a rough draft. Re- it's not ready. I need to go through it again. Um, so my hope is to have it ready to go out on submission by the spring sometime. Um, like and spring I in much- a, wait a minute. Are you saying in a couple months you're going to be ready to send it out? Yeah, that's my hope. Yeah. Yes, yeah, so spring of 2018. All right. Yeah, to send it out, and we'll see, you know, what kind of interest we get. Uh-huh. Um, but I found too, I was much more deliberate. Like the first book, I was just like learning how to do this. And I found that I'm really, there's this whole architect between like gardeners and architects, uh, this whole argument between gardeners and architects. Like, are you a, a planner or are you more of a, you know, a panzer? Like where you just kind of, kind of like see where the writing takes you. Mm-hmm. And I've determined that I am definitely an architect. So on, on the second book, now I didn't know that on the first book, but I plotted the whole thing ahead of time. So the writing itself has gone a lot faster because I know where I'm going. Now it's not Uh as if I can't make changes. And once I get into the chapter, you know, I'll see where the characters take me. It's, you know, I allow for, for movement and things to happen and change, Uh but I've been much more deliberate in creating the arc and, uh, knowing what's going to happen next. So it's it's helped it to go a lot faster. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. Yeah. What do kids think about that you're writing books for people their age? Well, I think my kids are equal parts proud and embarrassed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that's perfect. That's exactly right. That makes sense. <laughs> you, you know, because they, they love deep down, I think, the idea that their mom's stuck, because it's basically been through their whole childhood. It's taken eight years. So my son is now 17, and my daughter is 15. So they've been with this book. This book's been part of their childhood. Yeah. Um, So, but then at the same time, I'm very active on social media. Uh So they'll be horrified if I, uh, you know, um, commenting or, you know, doing something about the book on social media. So it's kind of funny that way, uh-huh. but my son and I said, you know, cause we have a certain amount of stock we were able to buy from the publisher at a discount. And I'm like, mm-hmm. well, you can resell the books and I'll pay you a commission on each book. So, you know, he's out there, sell them to his girlfriends and his friends <laughs> who are girls and 
you know, he comes home, he's like, okay, mom, that, you know, you owe me a five on that one. And um, then the other day he goes, well, I gave two away. I'm like, well, you can't give them away. I'm like, well, you know, we're, well, he's like, okay, I'll, you know, but yeah, it's, I think, yeah, they're equal parts, proud, equal parts, getting completely embarrassed. Uh-huh. That That's kind of sums up parent kid relationships at that age. <laughs> yep. The one thing that is great though, about having kids this age, uh-huh. like Bill, especially my daughter, she'll read something. She'll be like, well, we would never say it like that. Uh-huh. Um, so I'm getting like real firsthand advice on how kids talk. Yeah, and, you know, I, I, I get to absorb that just being around them, but, yeah. uh, you know, they'll correct things or, you know, if a kid's listening to a song, they'll say, well, it wouldn't really be that song. It would probably right. be this one. Right. Um, that's cool. So, so I think we get a lot of authenticity that way. And that's part of the reason why, too, I think I see it as three books, because it's kind of this natural arc of my kids growing up, too, you know, uh-huh. like and being part of that world and being able to witness how they interact and talk. Yeah. And once, you know, I sort of see like the second book is getting its legs and then I have one more that I've started in the series. By that time, you know, my daughter will be in college and that phase of their lives will be over. Um, so then I sort of see myself graduating into straight adult, adult fiction. Uh-huh. Do you have a crew of friends, a handful of friends, whatever, that you have known since, you know, elementary school, junior high, whatever, who in some ways will, will be kind of a model for the adult book that's coming out of, you know, these, these, you know, years later as adults, these, these women come back to this community. You know, is, is, is there some of your own experience that is going to inform that? Yeah, I think so. Because I, um, you know, my, I myself left the Valley. I grew up in the Ole Valley and I left the Valley for New York city and then Dallas, Texas, and then Baltimore and then New York again. And guess what? I ended up back here. <laughs> um, yeah. So there's this sort of autobiographical okay. element to that part uh-huh. of the story. Um, for these characters in in the adult book uh-huh. that I want to explore more and, uh-huh. you know, and how that related to my own life, uh-huh. you know, as a sort of subplot in, in, in that, that adult book I'm thinking about. Uh-huh. Interesting. Because I was thinking about how you just, you know, mentioned that in some sense here, you, you've run some language and, and some details, you know, past your kids or your kids have, have offered some some help, and I was thinking there may be some things related to what women's friendships look like that that come from you know similar kind of a small group of close friends that you have if you if you indeed have a small group from a long time. Um, some yeah, of and you know the thing is, I'd like to be able to say yes because that sounds like a really neat way to answer the question. Mm-hmm. But because I did leave so young, when I was uh-huh. seventeen, I graduated yeah. from high school early. I, like a lot of my friends that I knew in grade school and high school, I'm in touch with maybe one or two of them. So it's Mm -hmm. not as if like that close knit group stayed together. Right, right. And my friends really are scattered around the country Mm -hmm. uh, that I keep in touch with, you know, by email, text, Facebook, that sort of thing. Because I lived, you know, as a young adult and then, you know, until we moved back here, I lived in all these other places. Yeah, but I like, that's really interesting to me, like to just explore in my own way, but also for these other people, like the idea of coming home again and, mm-hmm. and why we do that. Yeah. And just a little bit about what, what did bring you back from those big cities, different parts of the country to an area that, you know, is basically where you're from. Yeah. So I, I think I mentioned earlier, my husband was a professional soccer player. So mm-hmm. a lot of that, we were traveling from team to team. Mm-hmm. And as he sort of ended his career, I had already started in real estate and he kind of had been an athlete his whole life and wasn't quite sure what to do next. So he got into real estate as well. And then that, that was timed perfectly with um, the birth of our first child. And I just felt like that pool home. Like, I'm like, well, you know, if we're going to raise these kids, you know, we don't know any, we don't have the roots like our family and, you know, our sense of community that we had at home. So that's really what brought us home was I, I wanted to be closer to my parents. So my children would know their grandparents. Mm-hmm. Um, 
but I often say once the kids are gone, like, I'm not sure we'll stay in this small town, you know, like where, mm-hmm. where we would go next. Mm-hmm. But the thing that's nice about where I live, too, is we are really close to major metro areas. So we have Philadelphia, you know, south, uh, east of us, and then New York City's two hours away. So, like, Thursday I'm going to see Springsteen on Broadway. We'll just go up for the day uh-huh. and come back. Uh-huh. Um, and... Uh, Baltimore is only an hour and a half, so we're still very. We have a lot of major cities that are very accessible. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Which is so nice. you're going to continue writing and selling real estate, and I'm yep. sure there's reading that's going on there too. You mentioned uh, in, in just background information that we shared that that you still love to read. That's really a big I do. Yeah. Who are some of the people that you read? So um, right now I'm reading a guy, his name's James Anderson. He was in my MFA program, and he just had a book debut the week before I did called Lullaby Road. It's the second in a series, um, that, and it's doing really well, and I'm, I'm really enjoying the book. So I, I read that. Now, I don't know that a lot of people would, would know his name yet. Um, what I'm also reading right now, because I always like to have a one book on Audible, so I like to listen mm-hmm. to a book while I'm, you know, getting ready in the morning or when I'm in the car going from appointment to appointment. Uh-huh. And then I always like to be reading a book, too. So on Audible, I'm listening to Before We Were Yours, which is a pretty popular book right now. It's about the Tennessee orphanage. It's based on true events, but it's a fictionalized account. Uh-huh. And let's see, what else? I've been on a World War II kick lately. I read... Um, all the Light We Cannot See, which was a very popular book. And um, one I, that really stuck with me is called We Were the Lucky Ones. And that was, again, sort of a fictionalized account of a family's true story as um, Polish Jews and that, how they were scattered to the four winds and, and how they reconnected. So, and I like, people don't expect it, but I really like... Um, end of the world store stories. <laughs> so, okay. Like Stephen King's The Stand is a favorite of mine. Um, yeah, a wide range of, of interests in your reading. Yeah. That's cool. Station Eleven. I don't know if you've heard of that one by Emily. I can never, I think it's St. John. It was a really excellent kind of end of the world book. But yeah, yeah, I read kind of widely, like across genres. I like uh-huh. a lot of different stuff. Uh-huh. Do you do other creatives? Um, projects in addition to writing? Like are, are there other kinds of creativity that are an important part of your life? They are. Now, I've been really in deep with this book the last mm-hmm. year, so sure. I haven't been able to do as much as I'd like. But a couple years ago, I took up knitting, mm-hmm. and I love to knit. So that's one of the things I, I really enjoy. And I like all aspects of like just that creative side. Like Even when I tie in the whole house part of things, like, I love mm-hmm. to decorate, and uh-huh. my husband and I have done several projects where we've got bought a house that's, like, really falling down, and we've renovated it. Okay, so I, yeah. like, that's creativity, like, on a, a big yeah, scale. Yeah, I, I totally but, relate to that, yeah. But that I really enjoy, and I can see us doing more of that type of real estate. As uh-huh. our, It's a lot to take on when you have kids and smaller kids. Uh-huh. You know, when you're, when you're managing a project that's getting a total renovation, you're it's just a lot. So, yes, but I can see us yes, doing yes. that again, like as the kids get off on their own. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I really, I, I like all kinds of different creative yeah. endeavors. I like to cook, you know, I think that's a lot of fun too. And uh-huh. get excited about different recipes and creating something that tastes really great. Uh-huh. So I'm going to ask you the current question. So are you using an instant pot? <laughs> I'm sorry. I didn't catch that. Am I doing what? Are you using an Instant Pot, the newest kitchen contraption that people... No, I haven't, but I've been hearing about it. Is it or do you have one? <laughs> My husband bought one, and I was teasing him yesterday because the Washington Post has an article comparing uh, things cooked in the Instant Pot with things cooked in a traditional Dutch oven, um, and that uh, other than dried bean recipes, which cooked much quicker in a pressure cooker, the taste of foods cooked in the Dutch oven 
was much better. And uh, other than the bean recipes, the time difference was insignificant. <laughs> okay, so I shouldn't bother with the Instapot. Yeah, my joke with people is is that I am I, I'm such a not kitchen appliance person. And and every year um, in my in my work, one of the things we do is we have a retreat for people who've lost loved ones to suicide, and we always have a dinner. Um, you know, we 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 do the meals there, and kind of creating dinner together is is one thing that a few people will do. And you know, and, and I remember last October at the retreat, as we were eating, this person asked me, "Well, did you did, did you bring that rice um, here cooked?" And I said, no. And she said, well, how did you cook it? There's not a rice cooker here. And I said, I cooked it in a pot with a lid. <laughs> She's like, what? <laughs> it's like, yeah, actually, that's one way of cooking rice is in a pot with a lid. <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> she was in awe. Like, that's magic. <laughs> so I, I do think it's interesting. I, I find cooking as something. Uh, that to me, you know, when I slow down and I'm doing the preparation, I like that. And I like cooking with people, like uh, occasionally, you know, having friends over and we stand around the kitchen island and, you know, prepare the salad and soup or whatever we're doing as we're talking. You know, I, I, I find the, the actions of cooking, the smells the, and the conversation that can happen, you know, as a, as a great, let's slow down and do this thing. Yeah, I I agree with you. I have a tradition of, I do a Sunday dinner every week. So I I really enjoy that process of like figuring out what to make and then taking the day to make it and just Uh the, you know, the aroma of the food cooking. And then my parents always come over and, you know, my kids and my husband, we all break bread together. Uh Now, the drudgery of day-to-day cooking, I don't enjoy as much. (laughs) Yeah. But I, I do really like that, like you were saying, sort of the. Yeah, that's nice. And and as somebody who you have that experience of, I believe you said eight years in writing a book and getting it from an idea to this physical book people can read and in their very own hands look at those pages and that cover and and cherish those words. You know that that I can see that that patience is a good thing. <laughs> Right. Yep. So of course. And that increases the quality of things because, like with the book writing, as you said, that you know there were there was work on and rewriting. You know, it isn't just like it pops out all done. Um, and that's that's important for people to hear. I have so enjoyed that we finally got to do this podcast and the conversation we're having. And I want to make sure that people know that this book is called "What the Valley Knows." And they can find it in a variety of ways, you know, in terms of, okay, you can learn more about it online. Um, you can find heatherchristiebooks.com. You can ask your local independent bookseller to order this for you. If you don't uh, live in the Southeast Pennsylvania area where you could actually hear Heather talk about this book, read from it, tell a little bit about publishing, those kinds of things. and. Then you'd be able to get your own signed copy, but if you're not in that area, you know, I, I am a big encourager of, you know, asking your local independent bookseller to get this for you before you go to the, you know, big online booksellers. Just say it. Right. Yeah, nice absolutely. What would you like to say to our listeners before we have to say so long? Well, um, thanks for listening, first of all. And uh, I really love, the thing I love about social media is that it's like sort of a direct connection between the reader and the author. So I encourage anybody who wants to get to know what the Valley knows better or me and my writing, the the blog to, I'm very active on Facebook at Heather Christie books. You have to put in the books at the end, Heather Christie books um, and Twitter and Instagram to, to reach out and say hi and, Certainly, if you want to follow the blog, you can sign up for the blog on my website at www.heatherchristiebooks.com. And I write about all different things. Like sometimes it's a kid essay. Sometimes it's, uh, you know, about writing, uh, all sort of different topics. Um, but, yeah, that's that's really all I want to say. And, you know, thank you to anybody who's going to put the time and spend their hard-earned money on the book and to read it. 
I'm, I'm very, very grateful for that. And, and listeners, I will say again and again, there is so much more pleasure out of a book and reading that book than buying another couple coffee drinks someplace. Absolutely. <laughs> so I want to thank John Yamras for introducing the idea, helping with the arrangements so that Heather, Christy, and I could do this podcast. I want to thank Daniel Smith, who produces the show, because um, we've had more than um, a, a usual share of technology challenges. I don't want to jinx anything. Um, and I, I thank you, Heather Christie. This has been a delightful conversation, and I'm looking forward to reading this book. I want to know what the Valley knows. <laughs> oh, thank you. Yes, thank you so thank much you. for having me. It's been quite a pleasure. Thanks, and so long to our listeners.